0: told you before that I'm a sucker for renovation TV shows. Um, I love seeing an old building transformed into something amazing, uh, something fresh, something timeless. Um, I love seeing the way that designers and architects can take the old bones of a structure and breathe new life into them. I love seeing the before and after shots as well as the, you know, the hard work of bringing the change in the middle. So I'm a little bit sad that I never saw our church uh, before the remodel I'd love to be able to compare what it was like before with what it's like now. Um, And I know some of you will be able to do that. And I'm a bit jealous of you, uh, truth be told. Um, But others will be like me. Uh, When we finally walk into that renovated church building in a few weeks' time, uh, we'll see the end product rather than the blood, sweat and tears that it took to get the building to this point. Well, either way, an incredible transformation has taken place. Uh, The old has been made new. It's been given a new lease of life. And a new identity as we look ahead to the next chapter. Of course, I could be talking about the Christian life because the Christian life is all about a miraculous renovation that God does in us as he takes the old bones and breathes new life into them as he makes us new. How does he do that? We'll stick around and we'll find out what the Bible says in just a moment.
1: When I look back through history, and consider all the sacrifices in every war, and I try to grasp it all, come to grips with it, stand in reverence of all those willing to give their lives for something bigger than themselves, I am stunned by the sheer numbers. All those lives, all those families, serving their country, I can't always comprehend it. My heart is not big enough to take it all in, that each one didn't come home. What they lost for their service, what we gained for their courage. Today, I stop to remember. Every single number is one soldier, one sailor who got up in the morning and put on a uniform, one Marine who answered the call to fight for freedom, One airman who knew the cost and went anyway. One man or woman who paid the ultimate price for many. And the freedom I live in now. Today, I remember.
0: Welcome to Yonkville Community Church. My name is Dan Bidwell, Senior Pastor here. Um, it is so good to have you with us this morning as we set aside time uh, to worship our loving God, to hear Him speak through the Bible, and as we come to Him in prayer. Uh, speaking of prayer, we would love you to join us this week for our monthly prayer meeting. Uh, that will be on Tuesday night from 7.30 to 8.30 p.m., uh, either online or in person at our Yonkville campus. I will be praying for our community, for the world, and for our church especially in the lead-up to the reopening of our renovated church facilities. Uh, We want to bring our church to the Lord uh, as we seek to share the hope of Jesus in the Napa Valley and beyond. Uh, So make sure you sign up to our church newsletter to get all the details. The best way to do that is to fill in a Connect card at our website, yontvillechurch.org. We'd also love to hear from you if you can't make it to the prayer meeting. Uh, We'll make sure you get the prayer notes so that you can pray with us as you're able. Well, with just a few weeks left until reopening, we're busy making plans for what ministry will look like over the summer and beyond. Uh, If you're thinking about joining us here in Yonkville, I'd love the chance to get to know you before the grand opening. I'd love to hear your story, how you came to join us and how we can help you find a home with Yonkville Community Church. Uh, If you have friends or neighbors who you're thinking about inviting along to church, well, now is a great time to start talking to them uh, about the church about the kids' program or what you're looking forward to when church gets back in person. These are all ways that we can share the hope of Jesus in the Napa Valley and beyond. And, and, you know, I'm praying that those conversations go well. Uh, And if you've had them, I'd love to hear about them. But for now, it's time to turn our attention to the Bible. So why don't you sit back, we're going to pray in a moment. But sit back, clear all of the distractions, and prepare your hearts to hear God's word from the book of Titus in chapter 3. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, be with us now as we open your precious Word. Will you guide us and teach us, transform and renew us as your life-giving Spirit breathes new life into old bones. Please use this scripture to make us more like your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, we have been in Titus for a number of weeks now. You remember that Titus is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his young protege, Titus, whom he'd left in charge of the churches in Crete. And in the letter, Paul lays out his blueprints for a healthy church. What does a healthy church look like from the outside? Well, all the way through the letter, the evidence of a healthy church is a church that lives and breathes godliness, 1 verse 1. A church that's eager to do good In its relationships with one another and the world. Two, verse fourteen. As we come to the last chapter of the letter, there's a repeated call to do what is good. You can see it in three, verse one, and three, verse eight, and three, verse fourteen. Doing good is an important indicator of church health. But doing good isn't what makes a church healthy. What makes a church healthy is a deep change that takes place below the surface, behind what you can see from the outside. It's all about foundations. When the contractors started work on our historic Yonville Chapel, one of the first things they found out was that our church had foundations that were far from solid. The church was sinking, and so the whole church building had to be lifted up temporarily while a new foundation was laid. Uh, We could have just painted the outside of the building, We, we could have made it look pretty, but none of that helps if the building is collapsing from the inside. And it's the same for us as individuals. We can try to pretty up the outside of our lives. We can try our best to be good, but it'll never last without some serious work on the foundations underneath. And that's the first big idea from our passage. Titus 3.3 says this about our old foundations before we knew Jesus. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Somebody told me this week that they studied a lot of other religions before they became a Christian. And what they liked about the Bible is that it doesn't sugarcoat the truth. Well, this passage certainly doesn't sugarcoat the truth, does it? I mean, it's really a slap in the face to anybody who thinks that they are okay without God or good enough without God. The definition of foolishness in the Bible is to say that there's no God. That's Psalm 14, verse 1. And here in Titus, Paul makes it clear that without God, we are fools. We're deceived. Without God, we're not free. We're enslaved instead. We're controlled by our passions, controlled by our desires and our lusts. We're addicted to hedonism. That's the Greek word, or the Greek root for the word pleasures in our passage. And so what seems like the freedom to express our desires is actually something that steals our freedom. It enslaves us. Speak to any addict and they'll tell you that addiction steals everything from you. Well, this passage says that we were like addicts, caught in a cycle of self-deception and self-destruction, living in malice and envy, always wanting more and always lashing out and being hated and hating one another. It's, It's not a nice picture, is it? And it's not something easy to say in a world which is all about building up our self-esteem. It's, it's all about building up our self-image. We don't like to be told sobering truths because it feels like a personal attack on our character. It would be much nicer just to say nice things. But the good news of the gospel is that we can embrace a truth like this because we don't need it to define us. If we allow God to do the deep work of renovating our foundations, He can remove what was rotten. And he can replace it with something new, something better, something we never could have achieved on our own. And that brings us to our second big idea from the passage, the new foundation for our goodness. At the heart of the Christian experience is deep transformation, a profound change from who we were before into who God makes us when we put our faith in Jesus as the Holy Spirit works within us. But unlike the books from the self-help section of the bookstore, the Bible doesn't promote self-renovation. We we don't pick ourselves up by the bootstraps. We don't have the resources within ourselves to make change happen. We need help to come from outside. And that help has appeared. Titus 3 verse 4 But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Titus three four to five. Last week's passage talked about the appearing of God's grace and God's glory, and this week we see another appearing: the appearing of the kindness and love of God our Saviour. And what did God do in His kindness and love? Verse five: He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Titus three verse five. God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps us when we were helpless. He doesn't save us because we did something righteous that makes us deserving of being saved. Now look at, back at verse 3. We were despicable. We were disobedient. We were deeply entrenched in a life that did not want God. We were enslaved. But God has redeemed us from slavery. Uh, we learned that last week in 2 verse 14. And then in our passage today, God's kindness and love and mercy caused him to rescue us despite everything we've done. I used to work with a woman whose son was addicted to drugs. He would use, and then he would get into trouble, and then he'd go into rehab, and then he would relapse. It was heartbreaking to watch, and I watched this cycle repeat itself over the three or four years that we worked together. This woman and her husband struggled with how best to love their son. Should they give him money? Should they let him move home? Should they pay for his rehab, or should they... Send him away and let him live with the consequences of his decisions. Every decision was painful because they loved him so much. And imagine it's like that for God when he sees his children caught up in the destructive patterns of life without him. He never stops loving us. He longs to rescue us. And we see that in our passage. He picks us up when we're at our worst and he sets us on a new path by dealing with the root cause of our collapse. Verse 5 continues... He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Titus uh, 3, verse 5 to 7. Now, I don't know if you like cakes. Um, I I like cakes, but I'm pretty picky about which cakes I like. I, I like chocolate cake but not if it's too sweet. I like vanilla cake, but not cream cheese frosting. I like cinnamon, but not if there's too much. Uh, but I do like donuts with cinnamon sugar on them. I'm not sure if that's a thing here in the US, but you're missing out if you've never tried it. Well, I could go on about cakes, but then nobody would ever bake me a cake again. Well, the funny thing is, all cakes are cakes, right? But the recipe matters because it changes what the end product looks like and tastes like. And when it comes to salvation, well, it's great to know that God has saved us. And at the simplest level, that's all we need to know, that God has saved us. But God has led us into the recipe that goes into our salvation. He wants us to know just what it took to rescue us from sin. He wants us to know just how much He's changed us and just how much He's given us glorious plans for our future so that we can enjoy them and rejoice in them and praise God for them and share them with others. We're actually depriving ourselves of the fullness of the joy of our salvation if we don't appreciate all that God's done for us. So what does being saved mean? Well, remember, it starts with the kindness of and love of God appearing, verse 4, as our Savior. He saved us not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of His mercy. And then verse 5, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously, through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Well, our salvation is described as a kind of washing, a rebirth, a renewal. And that idea of washing its found all through the Old Testament. that God's people required cleansing from their sins. A ceremonial washing to represent the stain of sin being removed so that they could appear before God with a clear conscience. And we see that in David's prayer in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Psalm 51:1 to10. David knew that he needed God to wash away his sins, not just the outward appearance, but deep renewal at the level of his heart. And Titus 3:5 tells us that God provides exactly that kind of washing when he poured out his holy spirit on us. the washing of the Holy Spirit is like the experience of being born again. It's what Jesus was talking about with Nicodemus when he told him that we need to be born again of water and the Spirit in John 3.5. Water baptism is the symbol of being washed by God, a symbol of drowning and then rising to new life as God lifts us out of the waters. Just like the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove when he was baptized and came out of the water, we receive the same baptism of the Holy Spirit at the moment that God saves us. We are brought from death to new life. And By the way, I'm really looking forward to baptisms at our church. A Baptism itself is a public proclamation of the work that God has already done in a person's heart. But it's always such an encouragement to see that God is at work amongst us. And so if you're somebody who's never been baptized, but you would like to be, let's talk about how we can celebrate that new life with you. I'm hoping we can have at least one baptism Sunday before the end of summer. Uh, So get thinking, get praying, get inviting, uh, because there are lots of people in the Napa Valley and beyond who need to be saved. And that starts with sharing the hope of Jesus with them. Uh, But let's come back to our passage. That moment of being saved, being washed, being born again, it's not just a symbol, it's not just a moment in our life or a one-time decision that doesn't make any changes. It represents God doing something new in your life. Now, the old is gone, and the new is here, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. In Christ, we are a new creation. And that's what it says in Titus 3.5. Part of the washing of the Holy Spirit is renewal. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God takes who He used to be, and He makes us something completely new. He transforms and changes us. And then he grows us as the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us, Romans 8, 11. And so I just want to pause for a moment and consider what that means. Um, How is God bringing uh, newness into your life? Uh, How is God renewing you? How are you allowing the Holy Spirit to mold you and shape you to be someone who's more like Jesus? How are you investing in your spiritual journey so that you experience the fullness and richness of God's spiritual blessings in Christ? Uh, To use the cake metaphor, are you savouring every bite and every subtle flavour and texture of God's goodness? I hope so, because the next line of our passage tells us that God has poured out this Spirit on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, in Titus 3.6. There's an Australian cake that we love called Sticky Date Pudding, uh, it's not a pudding like uh, you have here. It's like a British pudding, uh, a cake that is made with dates. It's thick, it's sweet, it's warm, uh, and they top it off with lashings of hot caramel sauce. Uh, it's, it's heavenly, it's decadent, it's over the top, and it's one of my favorites. And that's what God's generosity to us is like with the Holy Spirit. He pours out the Spirit on us with every spiritual blessing. He doesn't want, to miss, he doesn't want us to miss out. He doesn't skimp on His love for us. He showers us like a grandparent showers their grandkids with gifts at Christmas. Because that's who we are to God. He he makes us into his family, his children, and his heirs. Look at verse 7. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. God gives us an inheritance which is eternal life when he saves us. A hope which is stronger than death because we've seen Jesus rise from the dead and he promises the same for us when we make Jesus the foundation of our life. And this is a hope based not on our own performance, it's not based on our own good deeds, but it's based on being justified by Christ. To be justified is for God to declare that we are in the right with him, that no charge stands against us, that our sin is dealt with, And we're considered holy and righteous in His sight. And I know that's such a hard concept to fathom when we still fall into sin. But the promise of the gospel is that our sin has already been dealt with. It's already been paid for by the death of Jesus. Our past sins, our present sins, and even our future sin if we continue to turn our lives back to God in faith and repentance, trusting in Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit to keep doing His work in us. The grace of God, it's not something we have to wait for. We don't need to wait anxiously for Judgment Day to know if we've done enough, because we could never do enough to be right with God. And so God does what we are not able to do. In His grace, and mercy, and kindness, and in His love, He saved us, justified us, washed us, renewed us, gave us new birth, new hope, and a new future. And so that message of God's transformation, that's at the heart of our mission here at Yonville Community Church. Our sole purpose is to share the hope of Jesus in the Napa Valley and beyond. And we want to introduce people to Jesus. We want to introduce people to the work of the Holy Spirit and to the kindness of God. That gospel of salvation, it's at the center of everything we do. And that gospel, says the Apostle Paul, is the foundation of every healthy church. Verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Titus 3 verse 8. As a church, we always want to stress the grace of God in salvation. Not works, but Christ alone by grace alone. And we want everything we do to be filled with grace and mercy and love, just like God showed His grace and mercy and love to us because the church reflects God's character and our actions reflect who we've become in Christ as the Holy Spirit uh, has made us, uh, as he's given us new birth and a new way to live in the world. Because Christianity is not about a whitewashed exterior. God doesn't just ask us to throw a lick of paint on what we used to be. Instead, he deals with our issues right down to the foundations. He does what needs to be done to bring us back to life, to save us and to do something new in our lives. That's the blueprint I want to build into our church here. So don't we pray that God would help us with that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gospel of your love and your mercy and your kindness when you appeared in Jesus Christ, as you poured out the Holy Spirit upon us, as Father, Son, and Spirit, you together take us and make us into a new creation. Father, thank you for the hope that we have of new life in this lifetime and new life into all of eternity through Christ our Savior. We pray that we'd be able to share this hope here amongst our friends and neighbors and family. We pray, Father, that many would come to a saving faith in Jesus uh, through your grace and through your kindness. Father, help us and take us this week. Help us to live as new creations uh, in every way that we uh, go about the world. Father, we thank you for today. Uh, for your word, for your promises, for your Holy Spirit and for Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.